A few weeks ago, some of you may have noticed Sam was missing from a few episodes. And by you may have noticed, I mean, I'm certain you noticed because you wrote in to say how much you missed him, much to my chagrin. Aww. They don't care about you. Yes, they do. During this time, Sam was taking some time off to tend to a few health-related matters. And last week, Sam decided he wanted to share about his health journey with you, our listeners. So in today's Word of Pod conversation, we'll discuss what it means to honor your body by taking your physical health seriously. I think the safe folks say that your body is a temple. Why we'll use Sam's health journey as a launching pad for this conversation, we'll also talk more broadly about food and faith, about Black people and the things that are impacting our health. In this particular episode, Diabetes Takes Center Stage. But before we even get there, we got a few church announcements for the good of the congregation. As always, you can email holyshit at theolabmedia.com if you have questions or comments. And with that, let's get into it. What is up, good people? Welcome back to the Church of Holy Shit in the Temple for all the saints and the ain'ts. I am the Holy Mother, shut your mouth, the Archbishop of the One True Church's Holy Shit. The Reverend Brandon Thomas Maxwell. I'm Katie Ricks, and I I'm Reverend Katie Ricks, and I refuse to add a title because I do not support the Archbishopness of Brandon T. Maxwell. You just added a title. You went from Katie to Reverend. But I am a Reverend. Says who? The Presbyterians. You want to go there? <laughs> they barely told you you was a Reverend. Yeah. <laughs> so you want to be acknowledged in their church, but you don't want to be acknowledged in the church of holy shit. Okay. You see that? You no, see no, that? no. I'm not, I'm not acknowledging the structure that has been established in the church of holy shit. Mm, that's fine. I am the uh, presiding bishop, the potent <laughs> uh, prelate. I am the... Prelate. I am... I <laughs> I am. You are that you are. Yeah, yeah. I'm the chief apostle. I'm just saying. I ain't nobody. And you ain't nobody. I'm glad you finally figured that out. It's good to be back in the house of the Lord on today. I'm glad to be in the service. Come on. One more time. Mm, yeah. One more. T- I don't know why I'm feeling so churchy. What is happening? Katie is mighty white today. My God. That's because these lights are messed up. I don't know how to fix them. Blame it on the lights. Blame it on the lights. And not the absence of melanin. That's going to be the first question I ask the Lord when we make it to the heavens. What you going to ask God? I'm going to say, Lord, why did you leave all that melanin out of these white people? They be burning and peeling and turning red. Why didn't you just get them a little bit of melanin? Because they need it. All right, let's get straight into the church announcements. The first announcement, vaccination rates have been slowing in the last few weeks and the Delta variant is on the rise. Daily case numbers have increased at least 15% in the last two weeks in 49 states, with around 20 states reporting twice the number of daily cases during this period. In some states, there have been full-fledged outbreaks. I think it's important for us to continue to talk about the fact that we are still in a pandemic. The vaccines have provided us the opportunity to begin to transition to a type of post-pandemic life, but it doesn't mean that the pandemic is over. I think it's important to note the importance of being vaccinated. And I think we have to continue to stress that because while many of us have been vaccinated, many of us still have not been vaccinated. Hopefully not the people who are listening, but if you are listening and you're one of those who thinks that the vaccination is some type of population control or it's the mark of the beast or it's some serum from the devil, it's important to note that 99.2% 
of all coronavirus deaths in June were from unvaccinated people. It's important to note that only 0.08% of deaths were from vaccinated individuals. It's proof positive that the vaccine has an effect on this virus. It's very important for you, if you have not been vaccinated, to stop with your bullshit. I mean, unless you have a very valid reason. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not dismissing people with very valid reasons. But if you're one of these conspiracy theorists, one of these ultra-conservative folks who believes, you know, that you don't need it, make America great again, you're going to die, probably. And if you do, I told you so. Well, that took a turn. Not only are they going to die, they're continuing to perpetuate the pandemic. I mean, because we're not able to get herd immunity. I've heard anecdotal cases of breakthrough infections with people who are already vaccinated, but that's not the worst part right now. The worst part is they're not thinking about everybody else in the world. So you can't be this evangelical saying we love all people and we want to care about all people. And I ain't just talking about the evangelicals. I know plenty of liberals who are doing that or progressives, but some people can't have vaccines for health problems, for significant religious reasons. I get that. But the majority of people should be getting vaccinated. So folks, you heard it here first. If you are not vaccinated, please, please, please go get that shot in your arm if you are able to do so. Do that for your own health and the health and safety of your communities and your families and everyone who is around you. If you cannot be vaccinated for any reason, continue wearing a mask. I didn't say this earlier, but the Lambda variant is also now an element of concern. I haven't heard about the Lambda variant. I didn't hear about it either. I thought you were just joking the other day. No, there is actually a Lambda variant. Shit. Oh, in Peru? Is it in Peru? I was just about something? to ask where. The Lambda variant is rapidly spreading in South America. Its mutations help it to dodge the immune system. Researchers are scrambling to figure out if it's more dangerous or transmissible than Delta. It was first detected in Peru in August of 2020. And it's already spread to 29 countries, the majority of them in Latin America, but also beyond that continent. So we are not out of this thing yet. Keep wearing masks. I'm going to go back to trying to make sure I'm wearing a mask when I'm in crowded public spaces that are indoors and uh, not get too excited too quickly. Our next church announcement comes to us from the legislative chambers of the United States government. Democrats are getting ready to pull the only lever at their disposal to try to govern once again without any assistance from their Republican colleagues in the House and the Senate. Last Tuesday, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer and other Democratic Party leaders struck an agreement on a $3.5 trillion investment plan that they will pass through budget reconciliation if Kirsten Cinema and Joe Manchin can be convinced to vote for it. If you're unfamiliar with budget reconciliation and why everyone is talking about it right now, let me explain very briefly. Budget reconciliation is a filibuster-proof legislative process that allows Congress to pass a bill with a simple majority of 51 votes. Now, if you don't know what the filibuster is, it's a Senate process that allows individuals to attempt to delay or block a vote on a piece of legislation or a confirmation. While it only takes a simple majority of 51 votes to pass legislation after debate has ended, it takes a supermajority vote of 60 to cut off debate about an item, which is why most folks consider 60 votes to be the minimum number of votes necessary to pass a bill through the Senate. Budget reconciliation bills do not require a 60-vote majority to end debate and thus can be passed with a simple majority of 51 votes. With the U.S. Senate being split 50-50 by Democrats and Republicans, 
This is basically the only way Democrats have been able to get anything done for the first several months of Biden's presidency. The $3.5 trillion budget reconciliation bill includes significant expansions to Medicare that include coverage for dental, hearing, and vision care for the elderly. If it's passed, the bill would also boost federal education and social safety net programs. It would combat climate change and deliver on some of Biden's campaign promises and other legislative priorities. As was the case with the last budget reconciliation bill that Democrats were able to pass, it's got a lot of good stuff buried deep down in it, and it lacks a clear message that communicates to American people just how expansive the legislation actually is. I mean, it includes two years of free community college, universal pre-K for three and four-year-olds, lower prescription drug prices, and the list goes on and on and on. I guess I say all this to ask one question. Why are Republicans determined to be assholes? Like, how are they politicizing things that are basic human rights? How can you see this and still vote for Republicans? I mean, I get tribal mindsets and I understand it, but it still baffles me. These people are willing to let you die to maintain their power. And all of a sudden, even though for four years, nobody cared about the deficit. <laughs> nobody cared, you know, about the debt. We were giving tax breaks to billionaires and trillionaires and all of these heirs. Hello. <laughs> nobody was saying anything. And all of a sudden now, because you want to reduce child poverty and give families with children $300 a month, that's the issue. What about the budget? What about the deficit? How are we going to pay for it? You wasn't worried about how he was paying for these tax breaks for Jeff Bezos mm -hmm. and the man who just spent millions of dollars to fly to the edge of space and turn around and come back. Richard Branson, is that who? Branson in Virgin Mobile, in his Virgin Mobile plane. Like, you, you, you didn't care about the tax breaks that you were giving all of those folks. You didn't care. You know, I can get upset talking about uh, Katie's relatives. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I finally found this uh, pie chart that, that shows it, and you read all of these individual things that it's going to help, and you are exactly right, Brandon. I mean, this is a no-brainer. There's, there's nothing on here that shouldn't be taken care of. And quite frankly, by putting money into these areas, it actually helps the economy. There's just ways that people are built up and they're not struggling just to pay their bills or, or even just to have food or shelter. I mean, it's got places for affordable housing. That sure as hell doesn't exist anymore. And so these are the things that we need to be doing. But I don't understand the thinking behind not agreeing with this. One way that I try to process this is by looking at churches Another thing that can frustrate me sometimes is churches that continue to keep their parishioners theologically illiterate, like churches that recycle the same scriptures every single week, every single Sunday, every single Tuesday or Wednesday in Bible study. I think there's an intentional effort to ensure that no one in the congregation becomes a free thinker or can be perceived to be more theologically literate than the persons who are called pastors in those communities. Mm -hmm. And so if we can just keep people here dependent on this little baby food that we're getting them, forget the pastors that says, you know, when I was a child, I thought as a child, I spoke as a child. And when I became an adult, I put away childish things. No, we want to keep giving people baby bottles and rattles. And that makes things really easy for us. We don't have to do any work. We don't have to think about being transformed on a daily basis about the renewing of our minds. So in the political system, if we can just keep people arguing over shit that's basic, if we can take away their basic human rights, then we don't have to think about the more complex ways that we need to be governing. Let's keep them divided 
and keep perpetuating that controversy so that we ain't got to do our jobs. Maybe that's too strong of a correlation. I think it's too strong of a correlation or maybe not too strong of a correlation. I think maybe we're giving them too much credit in how smart we think some of them may be. The pastors or the politicians? Both. (laughs) (laughs) I actually think it's more intentional and strategic from pastors, right? I think ideologically, the politicians, some many of them actually believe like it's nativist, it's racist, it's a lot of these things that they believe certain people are deserving and other people are not. I mean, you got poor people in rural areas down in Alabama who don't want affordable housing. Bruh, you live in a double wide that's falling apart. That if you really had to pay the taxes that people were paying in the city, you might die. These are things that actually benefit you and contribute to the flourishing of you and your progeny. And like you're against it because you feel somebody who looks different than you may benefit from something that they don't deserve because this isn't their country. And like it's this sincere ignorance and ideology that I think fuels some of these things. It's not this conspiracy that divide and do all of this and all of this. Some of these people are just racist as hell, nativist as hell and ignorant as hell. And some of them end up getting elected. And they carry that shit to D.C. and they legislate with it. I think there is a willful, willful ignorance. Willful ignorance? Uh-huh. Willfuler. Willfuler. There's a willfuler. Why can't I say that? <laughs> <laughs> it's, okay. it's like Sam's Trinity. Um, willful <laughs> ignorance on the part of pastors and politicians. And I mean, I think when, when we were talking about South Africa earlier, you know, you can point to the pictures of black leaders since Nelson Mandela took over, but that doesn't help the people who are living in the country. And so that's the same thing. These people are sitting up there arguing about stuff and people can't afford to live. They're choosing between prescriptions that are ridiculously cost and food. I just want to know, when is the United States government going to have me come and do some intercultural competence training and anti-racism training for the House and the Senate? I want to go in there and do some training with all these people to help them be transformed by the renewing of their mind. Biden, call me. That's going to be interesting. Put me in, coach. Honestly, Brandon, though, I don't know if this if this uh, bill is going to pass because I just watched a response from Joe Manchin who tried to play it down. And it's like, you know, I'm going to consider everything. I've got to read it. I'm going to take care of everything. But it must be paid for. And so when you think about Manchin and Cinema in, in those two in an evenly split Senate, especially with reconciliation where this could pass with 50 votes, the Republicans aren't the problem. They're the problem. It's not even the Republicans or the Democrats that's the problem. It's the fact that we only have Republicans and Democrats in those chambers. Right. The filibuster is the problem. I still say get rid of the filibuster. I agree. If you don't want to get rid of it, do something transformative with it that allows you to legislate. Mm-hmm. Change something about what you're doing so that you can actually go. Yeah. What are our tax dollars paying for? Their health insurance and and salary. For the rest of their lives. Right, exactly. I mean, I'm sure that there are um, disadvantages to the coalition governments that parliaments have. However, like on paper or from my, you know, unknowing mind, it seems like more parties make it harder to polarize, obviously. And then they are they're forced to work together and think about more people instead of the rich people. Democrats and Republicans that are having these arguments that don't help anybody. Will it ever change, Brandon? I'm not hopeful. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not. I'm not. Do I think things will ever change in the United States? Yeah. I'm not hopeful. I think that we've been far too domesticated for far too long. I think that the apparatus that is the American democracy, American capitalism, too quickly and too effectively absorbs 
all of those movements. And so I don't know if we have an appetite for it. Our next church announcement comes from the continent of Africa and the country of South Africa. Right now, there are protests happening in South Africa over the jailing of the former president of the country, Jacob Zuma. Zuma, who is a Zulu, was president from 2009 to 2018. Some have alleged that during his presidency, the country experienced an escalation in government corruption in the African National Congress, which was the ruling party under his presidency. Sam, your wife is South African, and so I think there may be some particular uh, perspective you can offer that we don't have just reading the news stories. There is. There's so many layers to it. First, in my wife's own identity, she's South African, but she's South African Indian. There's a large population of Indians in South Africa who migrated to South Africa because of persecution in India when there were conflicts between the North and the South in India. Indians have been in South Africa for generations. And the largest population of Indians outside of India live in South Africa. Durban, South Africa, is a population of more than 6 million people. And many of those folks in Durban are Indian. Because during the Group Areas Act, when the government split up the land and said white people are going to be over here and black people are going to be over here and colored people are going to be over here, they set aside Durban for the Indians. So this is kind of how Indians came to South Africa, particularly how Indians ended up in Durban. Now, fast forward to present day, the information that you just gave about Jacob Zuma, KwaZulu-Natal, where Durban is, that province is also where the Zulus live. Like it's Zulu and it's Indians. What a lot of people don't know is about a month and a half ago, the Zulu king died, apparently from complications from diabetes. His wife took over, and within a couple of weeks, she died of suspected poison. So currently, the Zulus are without a leader. Then on top of that, a few days later, they arrest the former president, the most recent president, who is Zulu. And so the Zulus start to feel like they're coming for us. And there's a leadership vacuum. There's no one with influence because there's now infighting within the royal family to say who's going to ascend to the Zulu throne as the king or queen. So the Zulus saw this last thing, the jailing of Jacob Zuma, as like the last straw. And they began to protest. It started as a protest because Zuma was arrested and it descended into complete chaos with buildings burning, shops burning, things being looted like literally every single thing taken out of stores and then stores burned to the ground. And so there are areas where there may be two grocery stores or shops. Nothing exists there now because it's in ashes. I'm seeing some similarities or I'm, I'm experiencing some similarities as to what happens here, right? I would imagine that the history of apartheid in South Africa also plays into it. So there's the current context, correct? But it is so much deeper even than this because of the parsing out of where people can live. And the colored, as they called it in South Africa, the lighter folks in South Africa had more rights, just the way that the um, structure kept it. And so all of that generational torture is building up and bursting out. And it shows, actually, you were talking a while ago, right? A few episodes ago when you were talking about the Truth and Reconciliation Commission and you said the one in South Africa, actually, I don't think it worked. This is an example of how that process didn't really bring us to anything different than where we are today in the U.S. Turmoil, chaos, and torture, to use Katie's words, abound in South Africa right now. And all of us here at Theolab Media and the Holy Shit Pod are sending love and light your way. We've got at least one listener in South Africa whose name is Lorato. 
We've also got Jamie White and her family, the Gangan family, and we're sending all of you solidarity and support from the United States, and we pray that you remain healthy and safe. That concludes today's church announcements, but before we go to break, remember that there are no spectators at a lynching. Either you are protesting and preventing the lynching from happening, or you are participating in it and perpetuating the normalization of ethnocentric torture and killing. But some of you, South Africa may feel really, really far away and like it doesn't impact your world. But please believe me, it does. I'm going to get off my soapbox for right now. Don't go anywhere. In 30 seconds, we will be back to talk about Sam's health journey and to grapple with what it means to treat your body like the temple that the Christian folks have been saying it is for centuries. We'll be right back after this. Hey friends, we're gearing up for our 25th episode here on the Holy Shit Pod. It's going to be in another month or so, and we want you to be a part of it. So do us a solid. Head on over to feelatmedia.com, and when you get there, you'll see a little purple microphone in the bottom right-hand corner of the page. Click it if it doesn't open automatically, and send us a question or a comment, or just give us a shout-out. It won't take more than 30 seconds, and you can talk as long as five minutes. Thank you so much to everyone who's already submitted, and we would love to hear from a few more of you prior to the 25th episode. So once again, that's theolapmedia.com. Click the purple microphone in the bottom right-hand corner and send us a voice memo. If that's too hard to remember, click the link in the show notes that says talk to the holy shit pod. And with that, let's dive right into the word of pod for the people of pod. Thanks be to pod. So Sam, today's word of pod is all about you. Oh my God. Lights, camera, action. (laughs) (laughs) I hate this dude. (laughs) No, but in real life. So Sam, you were missing from a couple of episodes. We had, I think, Lisa Weaver guest on one of those episodes. We had one episode, I think it was just me and Katie. And the listeners were upset about it. They was kind of in our email saying, where's Pastor Sam? And they should be. Have you ever watched The Temptations? I'm the David Ruffin of the group. You ungrateful sons of bitches. You wouldn't be nothing without me. So wait, you do have a Messiah complex now. Yeah, sometimes. He's been done had it. Go back and listen to episodes one through 20. Uh, (laughs) Every single episode. (laughs) But Sam, you were out because of health reasons, right? Yeah. um, I think my entire adult life, I've struggled with my weight and in effect struggled with my health. For most of my early adult life, I didn't know that I had some of the health challenges that I had. I come from a family that has a history of diabetes, a history of blood pressure, a history of high cholesterol, um, but we still be eating them fried chickens and having some fish fries. You know what I'm talking about, Brandon. And you be baking all them cakes. Shut up, man. Ain't nobody tell you to put my business out there. I'm just saying, Sam will bake a cake now. In high school, we moved in with my grandma because she had a stroke. And I think that was the first time that I experienced, I was actually, it was actually middle school, that was the first time that I experienced seeing like the effects of diabetes, having to draw up an insulin shot to give to my grandmother um, and realizing that this was something in our family history. And then my aunt had diabetes and my uncle had diabetes and all these things. In 2011, I started experiencing some symptoms. I had started having blurred vision and excessive like dry mouth, excessive urination at 26 years old. And I started Googling like what's going on because at this particular time, I just graduated undergrad. I could not find a job to save my life. 
I think I applied to like 200 different jobs. So I had no job. I had no health insurance. So I started Googling like, what's going on with me? And I realized, I I think I have diabetes. Mm. I was living in North Carolina at the time. And I went home to preach and was preaching and probably about to go into a diabetic coma and didn't even know it. And one of the ladies at my home church back home came to me after church and she said, something's not right. Did you fall out in the middle of the sermon? I did not fall out, but I'm preaching. You could tell that my energy levels were off. I didn't have the energy that I usually have. I kind of had this white foam in the corners of my mouth as I'm preaching. Foam? It wasn't the white around your lips from your chapstick, was it? No, no, no. It was, you know what I'm, shut up, Brand. This parishioner came up to me after church and she said, you know, something's not right. And I think having experience with people in her family with diabetes, and at this point I knew what it was. And I was trying to wait until after that service to go like to the free clinic the next day and get things checked out. But she said, do this one thing for me. Check your blood sugar. And if it's over 200, promise me you'll go to the hospital. And I said, okay. Hmm. And so I found my aunt, who, God rest her soul, is deceased now. And we went just up the street to her house. She's diabetic. She had a glucose monitor. And I checked my blood sugar, and it was 500. Jeez. 500? I can't believe you were still standing. She said, do something if it was over 200. And you were at 500. Hundred. It was 500. Wow. At this point, I had been having blurred vision for weeks. I had been having excessive urination for weeks. I had been having dry mouth for weeks. But because I was in North Carolina, I wasn't home. I didn't know the systems up there. I didn't know anything. I was trying to wait until I got home and was around family. And so we went to the hospital. They did some tests. They said, you know, we just want to check his A1C. If it's not that high, you know, he can go home. I didn't go home. I ended up staying in ICU for four days because that's how long it took them to get my blood sugar under control. In ICU for four days. In ICU for four days. When I left the hospital, my blood sugar was still high, but they had brought my A1C levels down. And almost immediately, I went to the gym and started working out and started walking and started trying to get control over my health. My mom didn't want me to go back to North Carolina. I went back anyway, got a job. Things got better. I was working out twice a day. I lost about 115 pounds over the next year and a half. I stopped taking insulin. I stopped all my medications. Things went great. So I had a lot of success in that part of my health journey just about a decade ago. I'm struck by the fact that you were still standing. You know, I mean, I've heard people who are on insulin or or what have you, and 400 is bad. That's when they're going to the hospital. So, like, to think about this at 500, four days in ICU, your, your blood sugar is still high. I mean, I, I, there are so many ways that you could not be here on the episode with us today, like driving home or preaching with that kind of elevated blood sugar. So I'm, I'm struck by that. And I'm also struck by that you're, you were able to work and get off the meds at that time is also significant. Yeah, it absolutely is amazing that you are still standing. I'm so glad you're still here, Sam. To take the conversation a little bit further, let's pause for a second because I want to talk about what diabetes is. I don't want to make the assumption that every listener knows exactly what we're talking about and what diabetes is and what's happening in your body when you're diagnosed with diabetes. It's a disease that occurs when your blood glucose is too high. Blood glucose is the body's main source of energy. Insulin is a hormone that's made up by the pancreas that helps glucose get into your cells to be used for energy. In type 2 diabetes, your body doesn't make enough insulin or doesn't use insulin well. 
which causes too much glucose to stay in your blood and not enough reaches your cells. Over time, too much glucose in your blood causes health problems like heart disease, nerve damage, eye problems, kidney disease. So if you don't know what diabetes is, that's what it is. And there's so many studies out there of how this impacts Black folks more than it impacts other communities because of um, biological factors. It's also your neighborhoods. It's psychosocial. It's socioeconomic. It's behavioral. I still remember um, days after I got out of the hospital in 2011, a couple of things happened that really made me question some of those factors that you just talked about. So two or three days home from the hospital, my mom orders some food and she orders two deep dish pizzas from Pizza Hut. And I say, Mom, I can't, I can't have this. She was like, why? And I say, um, you know, not just because it's pizza, right? But it's deep dish pizza. Most of it is bread. And the body transforms that into sugar, which spikes my glucose. And I asked her, I remember asking her, like, didn't you know this? Like, you were basically providing care. Like, we moved in with my grandma for three years, and my mom really was the primary care provider for her while she was dealing with her diabetes. And I was like, but didn't you take care of grandma? And she was like, yeah, but I never knew. Like, she's like, I I don't know how it affects the body. I didn't know what it was. And I think in that moment, I was like, you know, it's it's this, this lack of... Uh, understanding of the effects of diabetes and, and exactly how it it ravages the body and how it processes food, turns that stuff into sugar. And I think that's really helpful to note because this is so connected to food. It's so much more connected to food than I think we realize, even though it seems like a well-done moment when we think about it on the back end. But when you first told me about your diabetes, I remember not so jokingly saying, of course you got diabetes. Have you seen the cakes you bake? I mean, like I ate one or two, three. I think you made a full Oreo cake for me one time and it was so amazing. And I have a little bit of a sugar addiction myself, but that thing probably could have taken me to a diabetic coma. But I do think that my sugar addiction, which I'm trying every day to get over, it's emotional. It's connected to my family. I resonate so deeply with the story about your mother not knowing the impact of the deep dish pizza on your health, even after having cared for your grandmother who also had diabetes. Right. So I'm thinking about the fact that when my mother knows I'm coming into town, she does things like fixes these brownies. And it's like Ghirardelli brownies that already have all the chocolate in them. And then it has these Hershey Symphony bars with nuts in the middle. And then she does another layer of Ghirardelli brownies. And they are so good. And it is like diabetes in a pan. And I still go back and I eat them and I put a scoop of Bluebell ice cream on top of it. And if I say no... My mother is offended by the fact that I'm not eating these brownies that I've loved all of my life. I'm like, mother, that is like three pounds of sugar in one bite. So when your mother brought that deep dish pizza, did you perceive that as an act of care? Because I know when my mama makes those brownies, she's trying to communicate love. Even if the effect of the increase in sugar in my diet may not be loving to my body. I think because I asked the question, didn't you take care of grandma? And I understood that, yeah, they were there and they basically did what the doctor said, which is give two shots of insulin twice a day. But they never did the work behind understanding how the body processes certain foods. And if they understood what diabetes was and then they understood how certain foods contribute to spikes in insulin and how they're transformed into sugar, then there would be a lot of things that they wouldn't have done. Because I I remember growing up and under the cabinet right next to the kitchen table, 
Grandma had like all these cookies and butter and all of this stuff, or they would bring grandmama a slice of pound cake because they know she liked pound cake. And I'm looking back on that now saying either y'all did not know how the body processed these things, or y'all just didn't care that your grandmama had diabetes and uh, that your mama had diabetes and she should not be eating these things as regularly as she was. And so after I had that conversation with my mom, I did perceive it as her kind of falling into this routine of we need something to eat, I'm gonna go grab some. And she wasn't processing, let me think about what I need to get so that it doesn't spike his blood sugar because he just got out of the hospital three days. You know, she was trying to care in that moment. She just didn't know how to care. And I think that it's important for us to have these conversations with each other so that we are better informed about things like this so that we can take better control of our health. The shift of food is so strong. I mean, to like my daughter was allergic to cow's milk and took forever to figure out how do you eat now? And so, and it's a luxury, right? It's a luxury to be able to say, okay, I'm going to switch my food. I'm going to have to pay more for this or pay more for this. And you have to do that. Um, that's difficult to do when you don't have a job. That's difficult to do when you live in a food desert. That's difficult. Like it's a luxury to be a vegetarian, right? And so, um, but even the mind shift comfort food, what do you do? Like, it's a whole lot easier to eat a bunch of potato chips than it is to cut up a carrot. You know, and like, so I'm wondering what that struggle was for you in trying to determine how do you shift that food from a deep dish pizza to thin crust? It wasn't a hard shift for me because it was a scary experience. And it was an experience for me that said, at 26 years old, you should not be in the ICU for four days um, because you have high blood sugar. For me, it was more of a socioeconomic issue. And when I moved back to North Carolina and was still looking for a job and still trying to have control over my health, I'm grateful for my best friend I went to college with and we were roommates. He actually changed his uh, lifestyle as well. Because I wasn't working, I was getting food stamps. Uh, we would go grocery shop together and we started eating the things that we needed to eat. I call it eating like a diabetic, but it also had a significant impact on his own health. We began to work out together. And so that was tremendous. I could not have done that on my own because I didn't have a job. When I fast forward to like six or seven years later, when I started grad school and I went from gainfully employed to a student, it kind of went back to those same habits because I would be at school and they would say, we've got free lunch for everybody who comes to this meeting. I was there to get the free lunch. Right. Because I was on a fixed income and it didn't matter if that lunch was sandwiches or pizza or donut or cakes. And so I ate that free lunch. And then if they said, oh, we got an extra box of pizza for anybody, um, grab it. And I was like, that's dinner, too, because I ain't got no money to be out uh, going to Whole Foods uh, to buy dinner. You don't have to go to Whole Foods, but I don't have a, a whole lot of money to go to the farmer's market and do all of this stuff. And so I fell back into this cycle where I was living to eat and not necessarily eating to live. And so I was just kind of like, whatever I could get, that's what I'll get. So Sam, that doesn't even begin to scratch the surface of the journey because that doesn't even get to the last few weeks when you were out on the podcast. That talks about sort of some background information, which I think is important. I want to dig into the rest of the story. But before we do that, let's just take a quick breather for a second and come right back into it after this break. Today's episode and every episode is brought to you by Feel Lab Media. Feel Lab exists to transform how humans engage faith, spirituality, culture, and the world around them. Feel Lab believes that candid conversations rooted in vulnerability, mutual respect, and authenticity can transform and inspire each of us to be more fully human. 
If you are enjoying what you hear here on the Holy Shit Pod, why don't you head on over to patreon.com slash Media and become a subscriber. For those of you who've been patient with us and who've already become monthly patrons or subscribers, thank you so much. We've been transitioning through this pandemic and trying to get everything up to speed. We're going to start those monthly membership benefits here in the near, near future. So if you have been waiting on those things, thank you for your patience. Your blessing is on the way. What's the monthly benefit? You got to go to the page and see. (laughs) (laughs) And with that, let's get back into it. All right. And just like that, we have decentered white supremacy and we are back. I really wish it was that easy to decenter white supremacy. It is. <laughs> just play a little music and come back into it. Silence the white people. Shut them up. So forget Silence of the Lambs. Go to Silence of the White People. <laughs> so Sam, let's fast forward because I think somebody might get their healing on today. <laughs> well, after about four years of grad school, two postgraduate degrees that I'm super proud of, I had gained all of the weight back. And with the weight came a lot of those health conditions. My A1C was high again. I was on multiple medications. Not only was my A1C high, I was dealing with chronic hypertension. One Sunday, I was headed to church to MC a program, and I had this terrible headache that I had been having for days. I went to urgent care. My blood pressure was 221 over 140. They said, you need to go to the ER. I went to the ER. Again, blood pressure was still crazy high. I think they were kind of slow. And then after he took my blood pressure, they was like, whoa, these are stroke levels. Four days in the ICU because my blood pressure remained chronically high, stroke levels high for four days. They were giving me blood pressure medications through an IV and my blood pressure still was not coming down. After getting out of the hospital in 2017, I had a bill for $29,000 no insurance, no full-time job, and my blood pressure was still consistently high every day. $29,000 in medical bills, 11 different medications a day for diabetes, high blood pressure, and cholesterol. These medications have a significant effect on the body and the organs if you're on them for long periods of time. So I'm taking hydrolazine three times a day, lisinopril with HTCC, Amlodipine, I'm taking a tenolol, I'm taking all of these different medications that I don't know the effects that they're having on my liver and my kidneys uh, the longer that I stay on them. And my blood pressure is still high. Every time I go to the hospital, it's still like 180 over 90 over 100 on seven different types of medication. And I knew at that point, the only way for me to get any control over this is that the weight had to come down. We've had a conversation in the past about body positivity and looking at how we can love our bodies and call them whole and call them sacred and call them loved by God, created by God. And so I don't want people to hear a correlation between, well, I got to lose weight so I can get skinny with what you're saying. Well, for Sam, this is what you needed to do. I know plenty of people who have higher weight but are don't have these issues at all. They don't have high blood pressure or high cholesterol. So it isn't a weight issue, but For you, what I'm hearing is the only way to help you stay alive is for you to get the weight off. And so that's it's not a universal fix, but that's what you needed to do. Absolutely. I thought about a lot of things, right? Um, my I'm I'm Samuel Lee White the third. My dad died at the age of fifty-three from a heart attack. He was the youngest of three siblings. His sister died in her early sixties from a heart attack. His older brother died in his early sixties from a heart attack. His mom died before she was sixty from a heart attack. His dad died 
It's in my family. I just got married in 2019. Jamie and I, we want to have kids and I want to be around for those kids. I want to be able to play and, you know, experience life with my kids. And so I, I started to think about all of these things. And if I'm in my early 30s on 11 different medications, for me, it's kind of like it speaks volumes to what the rest of my life may look like unless I really try to get a handle on these things. And there was a direct correlation between my weight and my health. It had absolutely nothing to do with the way I looked physically. It was literally a matter of life and death. It was literally a matter of life and death. Ultimately, I think 2018, just a year later, I started exploring the option of bariatric surgery, particularly the vertical sleeve gastrectomy. They call it VSG or the gastric sleeve. So the gastric sleeve is when they laparoscopically or with a robot go in, they make about four or five tiny incisions, depending on the surgeon. Sometimes it's three, sometimes it's six or seven. And they go in with a robot and they reduce the size of your stomach by cutting out about two thirds of it and sealing the remaining part. Your stomach then is in the shape of what looks like a a sleeve and it's much smaller. It really restricts the amount of food that you can eat at one time. And it contributes to not just rapid weight loss. I think some people look at bariatric surgery as being this way to lose a whole lot of weight real fast. Um, On this journey, it's always talked about as a tool that helps you sustain this type of weight loss over a period of time. For anybody who thinks it's like an easy way out, it's not because you still have to do the work. You still got to eat the right thing so that you get your nutrition in. You have to be strategic. You have to get your protein in first. And then you have to eat your vegetables for your nutrients. And you have to save things like your starches and your carbs and your fats and your sugars last. And so it's actually very mindful and it's very intentional. Uh, And it's certainly not an easy way out. So Sam, from folks that I've known that have had uh, the full gastric bypass and and gone through surgeries, not like yours, but... There has been like significant work therapy wise. There's significant work kind of required with nutritionists and dietitians because, like, to shift from a normal, whatever a normal size portion is to the amount of a thumb size portion of food is a huge shift. And so I'm wondering what kind of support do you, do you have professional support or how have you been trained to go through this? transition? That's a great question, Katie. This has been a three-year process for me. It usually doesn't take that long. Um, My insurance required that I have nutrition visits um, once a month that really talk about nutrition, talks about mindful eating, that talks about what a healthy plate looks like, that talks about uh, portion sizes. For me, uh, I was in a space that after 2011, I really did a lot of that research on my own. And so sitting in those nutrition visits, I knew most of the things that they were saying because I had already implemented those things once in my life to be successful in this journey. But there's psychiatric appointments that you have to go to because they want to find out, is there a deeper psychological issue to those eating habits? Not that they want to shame you or anything, but they want to make sure that they're not setting you up to possibly do damage to yourself if you have this surgery And you're not prepared psychologically to make some of these changes because you could enlarge the stomach again and go through this whole journey and be back where you started. Or you could cause some damage if right after surgery, you're not eating the right foods or you're eating too much and you have a leak in your staple line of your stomach. So there was a there's a lot of resources that help 
prepare you for this. Generally, it takes about six months. Nutrition visits, doctor's appointments, psych appointments. Um, You have to have a letter of medical necessity from your doctor who says, no, this person has these comorbidities. He's got diabetes, high blood pressure, high cholesterol. I had chronic sleep apnea. In my sleep study, Brandon, I found out that I struggle breathing or almost stop breathing 34 times a minute. Nigga, you hyperventilating in your sleep? A minute? A minute. Bruh, how are you alive? (laughs) I thought you were going to say a night. A minute. I struggle to breathe or almost stop breathing 34 times a minute. An hour? A minute. How are you breathing? I mean, a minute. I mean, you breathe in fast, too. And it made so much sense to me because the doctor at the bariatric center said you need to have a sleep study. He says, because if you have chronic sleep apnea, usually when we sleep, that's our body's time to rest. That's our heart's time to rest. When he was explaining the results to me, he says, your heart is working twice as hard when you sleep as it does when you are awake. That's why your blood pressure is chronically high. You know, he was like, think about like a car. You know, you put more miles on a car, no matter how old it is, that affects the life of a car. He was like, you're, you're putting miles on your, on your body even when you sleep. Well, no, it's like gunning the accelerator, right? All, all night long. Um, and then sometimes medications cause that too, like cause the sleep apnea. And if you're like, let's add this and this, and then you've got this one to affect the effects of this one, it just becomes a deeper and deeper problem. I'm struck by the fact that you made a six-month process three years long. And I've, I've heard people talk about this bariatric surgery as something people just jump into and they, they're quick to criticize. But I think it's important to note the amount of intentional work that you did. And I think in addition, I wonder, you had that friend, that roommate who decided to join you on this journey back when you lived in North Carolina. So even with the psychiatrists and the doctors and the nutritionists and the sleep apnea fix and stuff like that, who do you have joining you on the journey of making these shifts of eating now? Like who's supporting you now? It's me. My wife, Jamie. It's, it's me. She's been tremendous from day one. Brandon picked me up from the hospital. That's all he's done. I tried to push him out the car. <laughs> <laughs> but no, um, Jamie has been tremendous in this journey. Already, just less than two months post-surgery, we've cut the, my insulin by 75%. We've stopped at least two of my blood pressure medications. Once I do have an appointment with my primary care physician, it's likely that we might stop even more. I had absolutely no complications from this surgery. And I'm really eating kind of normal. I can, I can pretty much eat almost anything. Well, Sam, I'm grateful to you for agreeing to share your journey and um, talk about this because it's a topic that we don't discuss frequently enough. And it's a topic that affects Black folks. And we care about Black folks. We love Black folks on this podcast. Black folks are my religion. If we talk about Black Lives Mattering, we got to talk about Black health. And we got to talk about Black wellness and Black wholeness. So thank you for sharing all of that, Sam. I know that diabetes is an issue that has affected many people in my family. Uh, While there isn't necessarily a genetic link to having diabetes, there is a genetic link to having a predisposition for diabetes. And then your environmental factors trigger it at some point. So it's your mama brownies. (laughs) There's already been a lot of advice that you've given just by sharing your story and walking through the steps that you took to reclaim control of your health and your wellness. But I think for the end of this episode, let's turn our lens toward some invitations 
Each week, we come to the end of every episode, and we like to provide you all with some invitations to life and life more abundantly. And diabetes is something that is killing Black folks at twice the rate that it is killing white folks and leading to other types of complications in Black communities. It's leading to blindness, heart disease, blood vessel disease, kidney disease, nerve damage, skin complications, dental problems. So we want to invite you to life and life more abundantly and not to the death that can come through diabetes or other means. I have heart disease in my dad's side of the family, so this is something that um, certainly isn't to the extent at all, Sam, that you were dealing with. But I think as I've gotten older and as I think of how I want to model for my child, that has made an impact on the choices that I've made. These are things that we don't talk about. We don't talk about health stuff. We don't talk about food. We don't talk about what we need. And so I think my invitation is to be more open and authentic. Not not that you have to share everything that's going on in your life, but learn about nutrition. Do it with friends. Figure out what it is that brings you life, both physically, well, we're talking about that physically, emotionally, spiritually, and ask for help. My invitation is twofold. Number one is do whatever it takes to prevent yourself from developing diabetes or to prevent adverse risk from diabetes or other diseases that can come as a result of not being mindful of your body. The first thing that most doctors will say is that folks need to lose between 7 and 10% of their body weight and to change their exercise and their diet when they are at risk for developing diabetes. Be more physically active. Do some strength training. Try to limit long periods of inactivity. Eat plant-based foods. And focus on just making healthier choices as it relates to your food. My second invitation is back to the top of the podcast. Please get vaccinated. Mm -hmm. Please get vaccinated for COVID-19. Because the reality is there is not necessarily a correlation between people contracting COVID-19 as a result of diabetes. But what we do know is those who have diabetes suffer even greater health complications once they contract COVID-19. So if you are a Black person, you a diabetical, as my family likes to say, get vaccinated if you haven't done so already, both of them. Get the Pfizer, get the Moderna, and get both doses to make sure that you don't develop. Sam, you might know more about this than I do. I just learned about this today when I was prepping for the episode. It's called DKA, diabetic ketoacidosis. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Which is actually what I was in in 2011. I I literally started rapidly losing weight. And I mean, like six and seven pounds within a day, my body had gone into ketoacidosis. And I was I was moments away from a diabetic coma and did not know it. And so having COVID-19 and having diabetes, you're at a greater risk for developing that. So please get vaccinated and please take your health seriously. Those are my invitations. The next time that you're listening to the Holy Shit Pod, consider doing something with your body. And I'm thinking about this in broad terms. If you are a person for whom walking is possible, take a walk while you're listening to the podcast. If you're a person who has a disability that presents mobility challenges, if you have the functioning of your arms, how about trying a little simple weight lift, get a little five pound weight, make this a ritual for yourself, a ritual of thinking about your body. Maybe you listen to the podcast while you're eating breakfast. What if you listen to this podcast and ate mindfully and thought about what was going into your body just as you're thinking about what's going into your ears. Those are my invitations, and I'll leave it alone now. Sam, you get the last word. My invitation to folks is like Brandon. Um, well, first is like Brandon said. He talked about plant-based diets. There's much to be said about the benefit of cutting processed foods and refined sugars. I used to do these Daniel fasts all the time. 
for spiritual reasons. And what I found out is they had a tremendous impact on my health. In 2017, when I was in the hospital for blood pressure, my A1C was also uh, super high. Your A1C should be under seven. The scale stops measuring it at 16. Mine, it just said it was greater than 16. We don't even know how high it was. In the moments that I would do a 21-day or a 40-day Daniel fast where I was eating a plant-based diet and no refined sugars, no processed foods, I wasn't going to any drive-throughs getting anything to eat, I saw those numbers drastically decrease. I saw my health drastically improve. And so there's much to be said about being mindful about what you put in your body. I think it's a, a, a quote from Aristotle. Oh, shit. You know it's going to be bad when niggas start quoting Aristotle. Just like white people quoting James Baldwin. The shade of it all. Well, it's probably not from Aristotle. It's often attributed to Hippo... Hippo what's the man's name, Brandon? If you can't say it, you can't quote it. What's the man's name? Hippocrates. Is that it? Is that he a hypocrite? Why are you like this? <laughs> There's a quote from Hippocrates that says, let food be thy medicine and let medicine be thy food. And um, there are a lot of healing qualities in the things that we consume if we would just consume those things. There are a lot of foods that can help with a number of conditions that exist within our bodies. And so I encourage folks to look that up, to find out how you can benefit from leafy greens, not the ones with the bacon grease and the pork fat that we have taken all the nutrition out of because we cooked them for two hours. I'm talking about collard greens. But collard green actually has tremendous benefits if you prepare it the right way. Now, I'm going to tell you, I'm not going to eat nobody's steamed collard greens. Put some hot vinegar on it. I ain't going to eat nobody's steamed collard greens that's barely been cooked. I still want my collard greens the way my mama cook them, uh, but in moderation. This is why we can't have nice things. Y'all ain't going to act right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I want you to be mindful about what you're putting in your body because it could mean life or death. It could mean your healing or your demise. Let's be mindful about what we consume. And that brings us to the end of another service here at the Church of Holy Shit and the Temple for All the Saints and the Aints. We are so grateful to you for once again hanging out with us here on the Holy Shit Pod. One of the things that we love most is connecting with you, our listeners. So send an email to holyshit at theolabmedia.com to connect with us, ask a question, submit a discussion topic, or just to say hello. As you know, we believe word of mouth is the best way to spread the good news about the Church of Holy Shit. So take five seconds to share this episode with a friend who needs a laugh or that relative who needs to be challenged. And if you're listening in Apple Podcasts or any other podcast app that allows you to submit ratings, please leave an honest rating and review, as Sam says, of no less than five stars. That's just another helpful way to send us feedback and if you're feeling generous, head on over to patreon.com slash Media and leave us a little love offering in the offering basket. All right, good people. We'll be back next week, same time, same place. And we're going to discuss Britney Spears and the Free Britney movement. We've talked about this before on the pod, but we're going to re-engage the conversation beyond church announcements, an attempt to unearth the theological undertones and how religion is informing that conversation. Until then, peace.